The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. One guest on the show today, Dan Steinberg's going to be on with us. Yeah, that Dan Steinberg, the D.C. sports bog Dan Steinberg. Uh, a true pioneer of something uh, that really caught on uh, more than a decade ago at this point. Uh, he has not written much in recent years, but he did write last week a column. He's been an editor for the post for several years now. Uh, but I thought the column was really well done and Dan will join us coming up, uh, in the next, uh, segment. Uh, the show today brought to you by the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor Pools. If you're out in Vegas, I would urge you to, first of all, go to the Circa Sportsbook. It's the biggest and the best, uh, in Vegas and their Circa Million Pool. There's nothing like it. Uh, $6 million in guaranteed prizes, $1,000 per entry with a maximum of five entries per person. You pick five teams against the spread every week, and at the end of the year, if you've got the best overall record, a million bucks. But there are another $5 million in guaranteed prizes. The Circa Million is spectacular. The Circa Survivor Pool $8 million in guaranteed winnings to the winner or the winners. Last year, two winners split $6 million. That's $1,000 per entry, a maximum of 10 entries uh, per person. You pick one team straight up every week to win. Most of you know how survivor pools work. Um, you get to pick one team uh, only once all season long, uh, but you're just picking them to win. No points spread. If they lose or tie, you're out. If they win the game, you continue to move on. And the last person standing or the last people standing are going to split uh, an $8 million guaranteed prize. Uh, $14 million between the Circa Million and Cir Circa Survivor Pools and guaranteed prizes. No rake, so if the entries go above the guarantee, all the extra money will go to the prize pool. Uh, entries uh, you've got until September 9th, 2 p.m., to make them, you must register in person at a circus sportsbook in Nevada. The weekly picks, however, can be made through a proxy from anywhere. Uh, the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor, uh, huge contests out in Vegas. 
I am going to be in Vegas, I believe, uh, in just a couple of weeks, and I am going to enter both contests. Why wouldn't I if I'm there? Um, That's, by the way, the trip that I'm taking where I will stop in to see Cooley in Wyoming. Still trying to get confirmation that they're going to be around that weekend, uh, but that's going to be the trip uh, out west. So I want to start the show with um, this email from Victor in New Zealand. Uh, I got a ton of response to the show yesterday, the show from Friday, um, and I'm picking and choosing here. Don't forget, by the way, to rate us and review us on Apple and Spotify. That's helpful. Follow us as well. Uh, But I will tell you, for all of you that suggest that you want to move on from the name conversation, I would bet you that 75% of the correspondence I've gotten over the last few days has been about the name. I think there is definitely an increased um, interest because I think many of you uh, believe that there's a chance they will change it at some point. I've been telling you for over a month now that there are people in that ownership group that do not like the current name and want it changed. This is an issue that has been discussed and will be discussed and will be taken seriously. Whether or not it results in a name change, we don't know. Um, but, you know, I mentioned yesterday the odds at Bet Online minus 400. I wouldn't make it minus 400. I'd make it a slight favorite that the name will change. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, it, this is something that interests a lot of you, even though much of our conversation doesn't center around it. But the beginning of the show today is going to center around the name because I want to read this email from Victor in New Zealand. Victor wrote, Kevin, I'm 42. I was born in D.C., grew up in Bethesda like you did. The first game at RFK for me was during the 1991 season against Houston, the game where Halfield missed the short field goal and we won the game in overtime to stay undefeated. I remember that game very well. The crowd noise, the excitement, I was hooked. And the skins have been a part of me ever since. Like you, the Snyder years took their toll, but as recently as 2019, I made a trip back to D.C. for the holidays and went to the Skins-Giants 41-35 overtime game, the game that led us to getting the number two pick for Chase Young. The name is a real thing with the fan base. I understand that. It's hard for me to even say it. However, I see no end to this conversation, even if the name is changed. There's only one name that would please the largest percentage of fans, and that's the original name. I personally felt conflicted about Redskins. While I understand that the while I understand that most original Americans aren't offended and actually prefer the team to remain the Redskins, I think it would be a terrible move for the Harris group to even consider it. You've said it before that after paying $6 billion for the team, why stir things up with a group of people that will be relentless in their protest of it? The old name just doesn't make sense, and yet I agree it would please the most people. You've been persistent over the years, but I compliment you on your compassion and thoughtfulness. Well, thank you, Victor. The best answer, and as you like to say, your mic drop, is that the name is used by original American high schools. 
Yeah, uh, there are still plenty of Native American high schools, predominantly Native American high schools in this country, where the school team nickname Redskins. <laughs> and they've decided, despite the protests from non-Native Americans, they've decided to keep it. Uh, it still cracks me up. I mean, the ball's on some people to, to basically tell Native Americans how they should feel. Like, you're too stupid to understand that this is offensive. And yet, high schools like well Pinned High in Washington and a few in Arizona and other places continue to keep Redskins. Anyway, I digress. Back to Victor's letter uh, or note. I th- he, he writes, I think the idea that you started talking about years ago, petitioning dictionaries for a second non-derogatory definition, is the best idea I've ever heard when it comes to the old name. But the horse is out of the barn. I'm pretty sure that name is gone forever. Commanders isn't very good, but do you really think Armada or Monuments would be received well? I just think at this point it's time to move on. Uh, so anyway, thank you, Victor, for that um, that that thoughtful uh, and compassionate and very nice um, email to me. You can tweet me at Kevin Sheehan, Kevin Sheehan DC. You can also submit emails. Uh, as many of you do via the website. And again, rate us and review us, Apple, Spotify, follow us uh, as well. So, uh, first of all, I remember that game against Houston so well. That was part of the 11-0 and start to that 1991 year, and it was really their closest call. Now, they had a game against the Giants that year in the Meadowlands where they were down 13 nothing at halftime, uh, but dominated the second half and won 17-13. Sunday night football, massive matchup. The Skins were 7-0, and I believe, and the Giants were like 4-3. and Those were the Ray Handley Giants off of their Super Bowl year uh, from the year before with Hostetler quarterback. But that Houston game, I remember, it should have been lost. It was not a well-played game by Washington against Warren Moon and company, um, but they won. I mean, they had the mojo that year for sure. Um, so, uh, yes, I understand that this is a complex conversation Because if they do decide to change the name and it's another nickname after Washington, it's not going to please everybody. That's why I suggested in the defense of Jason Wright and Will Misselbrook and the team that really was behind the selection of commanders and that pitiful rollout of the name on 2222, that, you know, they had a challenge. Like, they were never going to please everybody. It was pretty much an impossible task. Uh, I don't think they did very well with it, but it was still impossible for them to please everybody. And it's the same thing, which is why I would not use a nickname. I would just go with Washington Football Club or Washington Football Team or FC Washington or Washington FC, and then we can use the nicknames that we think are appropriate. Hogs, skins, etc. I would do it that way. I would make Washington the brand. But I do agree with you that those that say, hey, like, this is to me a conversation about this, not, you know, a 
lecturing on, you know, to people like me on this conversation. This is a conversation and a legitimate one. You know, he, he was conflicted uh, with the old name, but he understands how many people want it and how many people want the new name. And he's not knocking people for wanting a new name. He's just saying, but is there a solution to it? You know, no new name is going to please everybody. And by the way, Washington football team wouldn't please everybody. You know, when that came out, it was mocked by everybody, including a lot of people around the NFL. I mean, they went out of their way, you know, some of the announcers did. First down, Washington football team. Shut up. It's first down, Washington. I mean, before the name was changed, a lot of the announcers were calling everything Washington did, uh, the Redskins did during a game, Washington, you know, Washington touchdown, Washington first down, Uh, you know, and then they were trying to, they were mocking it, including like ESPN and newspapers and various places that would put in the standings, Dallas, New York, Philadelphia, Washington football team. Like they weren't putting Eagles, Cowboys, Giants, Washington football team. They were putting Washington football team when they were just listing the city of the other teams. Or they would put Eagles, Giants, Cowboys, and then football team. Like, it was mocked. But however you get around to doing it, I think the best answer, other than Redskins, clearly, would be Washington as the brand. Um, That would be my suggestion. It's been my suggestion for a while. I would go with Washington. I would bring back the old uniforms. Uh, I wouldn't even care if the helmets had the W on it. I mean, I'd rather the old logoed helmets come back um, or maybe go with the R helmets uh, from 1970 and 1971. Um, But, yeah, I, I... These are worthwhile conversations, and that's a totally legitimate answer. I know that it's not a new answer to this debate, but it's the way we should be talking. Like, you just don't think there's an answer, so let's just stick with commanders, even though you don't like it either. Um, I just wouldn't stick with commanders. I would go with something else. But, you know, the something else isn't going to please everybody either. This is not easy. There's not an obvious answer to this. But thank you, Victor, for that email. Later on in the show, uh, I'm going to read some Josh Harris quotes from a one-on-one interview that he did with Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated's Monday Morning Quarterback. There was some interesting stuff in that. That'll be the final segment of the show. Up next, Dan Steinberg from the Washington Post, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So last week was a crazy week. So crazy that Dan Steinberg decided to write about it. Uh, and write about the Dan Snyder exit and the arrival of the Josh Harris group. And he wrote a really good column in the Post uh, titled, Dan- Daniel Snyder Destroyed a D.C. Institution, Maybe Now It Can Heal. And uh, we have Dan with us right now. I haven't talked to you in a while. I mean, occasionally we will text back and forth. But I'm just curious, when was the last time you wrote a column before last week? Um, it was really early in the pandemic, I think, and it was stupid. Um, but yeah, it was, I wrote one, that was a random one. I'm going to purge that one from my memory. I think it was, um, about the Philadelphia 76ers, believe it or not. And I, I think before that, the last one that I wrote was, I think was after the Caps won the Stanley Cup. So, I mean, obviously this was a very significant event last week, but what made you come out of your brief retirement to write? Uh, I think J.P. Finley was actually the prompt. Um, I, we were, we've been texting about some things, and he, he had asked me um, a long time ago to come on his, po- his podcast, and I said, I'm done doing podcasts. And he said, you have to promise to do it when Dan sells the team. Um, and somehow I turned that into a, instead of a promise to write a column when Dan sold the team. And now I'm actually on your podcast instead of his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do remember it wasn't, I, I mean, I don't know. I could probably look through our text exchanges over the last few years and find when, cause I do remember specifically asking you to come on the podcast maybe a year or two ago. And you're like, yeah, I just, I don't have anything to say. What do you want to talk to me about? I'm like, I don't want to tell you what I want to talk about. We'll just have a conversation about things. And you said, nah, maybe you did come on, actually, now that I'm looking at um, at this. But whatever. So tell me, so JP was kind of the inspiration, but still, you had to have something to say, and you really did have something to say, and I think you nailed it in so many, in so many ways. You nailed it almost in the same way that somebody like me who was born and raised here, and this was you know, a very important um, part of of my life for so long, you you clearly felt like you could nail this one and you had something to say, right? Okay, so a- after the most recent time that JP and I were texting, I my, my son, who's three years old, takes a long time to fall asleep. So I sit outside his bedroom and I peck away at my computer doing work, um, and, and I started taking some notes about what I could write, if I was going to write, and it was really, really easy. I was like... Oh, almost immediately, I was like, there is actually something I want to say here. Because, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up here, but I've lived here for um, 25 years now, which is a pretty long time. And I have a ton of friends and acquaintances and colleagues who grew up here um, who have talked to me about what it was like when they grew up and what it's been like since then. Um, and I, I just felt like, and I grew up in Buffalo um, around the same time that so many of my friends were, were growing up here. And, and the Bills, I think had a slightly different but a sort of similar um, place in that community as, as Bill Redskins did here. 
But I, I just felt like I, I knew the stories so well, and I knew what it was when I moved here, and I, I saw every step of the way of... I mean, I've been following it as closely as anyone has since Snyder bought the team, even if I didn't grow up here. And so I, I felt like I had this kind of really clear picture of of how bad it got. And, and I, I mean, I listen to you all the time, and I think that you know that the last few years got exponentially worse than anything before that for all the complaining that there's been for 25 years there was nothing like how it was about just the last couple years and so i just had this kind of vision of like how far it fell and and how maybe there was just like a tiny window here to try to start building back something towards what it used to be and i mean i think there's a lot of reasons a million reasons that it can't ever be what it used to be um, that go far beyond josh harris or dan snyder but Still, it just felt like let's remember just how crazy and special it was here for for just one moment as he exits. Yeah, it's funny that you just mentioned that because one of the things I want to ask you is what can it be again? Because I think um, I'm going to agree with some of the things that you're going to say, but I just want to read a little bit from the end of your column because I just thought it was really well done. You wrote about, you know, sort of, you know, the, the memories of what it used to be. And then you wrote, then it decayed. First, it was the mistreated customers, the lack of class, the tackiness. Then came the losing, the embarrassment, the ruined reputations, the punchlines. It all seemed cheap, tinny. The team name for many made it worse, irredeemably so. Finally, there were the scandals, the allegations of appalling misconduct, the hearings, cover-ups. The football team vanished from the civic identity as much as any NFL team possibly can. Tickets could be had for a candy bar. Gear virtually disappeared from many neighborhoods. The new name was a bust. I would do a double take, a literal double take, if I saw a kid wearing burgundy and gold at our local elementary school. The franchise was more likely to start an argument than a friendly conversation. It was a ragged hole in the civic in the civic fabric, ugly and obvious. Now the guy responsible is about to depart, and a new guy who also grew up in D.C. during the glory years is about to arrive. He will be building from a crater. The familiar warmth is gone. The asset is broken. Washington might be too cool, too urbane, too new to fling itself into a relationship like that again. Maybe it can never be what it was, but finally, at least, there's a chance." That was some really good writing. Uh, It really was. But beyond that, you know, I had this on my list to talk to you about. When you write, you know, he will be, Harris will be building from a crater. The familiar warmth is gone. The asset is broken. Washington might be too cool, too urbane, too new to fling itself into a relationship like that again. Maybe it can never be what it was. Uh, I've been thinking about that because the city is just so different than it was back then. So what do you think it can become uh, if these guys are good owners and the team is a competitive NFL franchise again? I mean, I guess I wonder. I wonder that. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I, during the Caps and the Nats, the Caps and Nats, when they won, it was it was special and like euphoric and great and all that, but it wasn't the same as, as an NFL team winning. Right. I mean, you, you would know that better than I was, would, but it, it wasn't quite the same. Right. No, we were, we were a much smaller, more sort of almost a parochial feel to the city than right. it is now. Yeah. You know, right. 
Yeah. I mean, it was... Yeah, and... and so, yeah, I, and, I, and I think maybe just sports fandom, I think maybe people are a little bit more likely to bring their loyalties with them and, and not leave their loyalties behind when they move necessarily anymore. And so it feels it feels like you're, you're never going to have... I mean, obviously there were so many Cowboys fans here back in the day, but aside from that, it felt like it was Cowboys or Redskins. And I don't know that... I just don't know that people who move here are going to pick up this team, or at least not right away, the way the way people used to move here and pick up the Redskins. Um, at least that's my experience talking to people, people who moved here from elsewhere and said they had never seen anything like it, and they got into it, and they, and they bought in. And I just don't know that all these people who are in D.C. or in this giant metro area now are going to do that in quite the same way. And But, you know, maybe I'm wrong. It's A lot of it is supposition. I would love to see – I would love to see – what it would be like if they would win, you know, 11 games or 12 games. Like, as you and I have talked about before, one of the issues is even on the kind of rare years under Snyder where they did catch a little bit of lightning, it was always like a little bit of lightning, you know? It was never like, right. it was never just an overwhelming experience. And so I would love to see what it was like, and maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe maybe it is what it used to be. Do you think, and I had Scott on the show last week, Van Pelt, and I said, you know, I kind of get the feeling sometimes that outside of this city, um, that people don't actually really understand what was done here by one person, by one owner over 24 years, uh, the damage that was done. Um, do you think people outside of this city really understand it? You know, the day that the, the, the team was sold on Friday, there were two stories on, on SportsCenter that – uh, were ahead of. It was like, I forget what the big baseball game. It may have been the Orioles-Rays game. I think the Orioles-Rays game and then, yeah. Messi, and then Messi. Those two stories were much bigger stories. Or, or they were, they were you know, um, they trumped the story of new ownership in Washington. Do you think that anybody outside of this market will ever understand what happened here? No, because I think you have to understand what it used to be like, right? And, and that I mean, even like what Harris said, the the Redskins and the Cowboys, they were like peers in terms of like relevance and and importance to the league, right? I mean, they were like, and, and you know what it would be like if the Cowboys were sold now? It would absolutely be, of course it would be the top story on everything. And that's what the Redskins were, right? And and I mean, I remember growing up in Buffalo, it was like you were scared of them. They were like a force, a, a power, and they were like a marquee prestige franchise. That's why... I mean, it never made any sense for them to be one of the most valuable sports franchises in the world, unless that was the case, right? Um, and so, for something to have gone from those heights to this, like, I mean, the, atten- the attendance, the interest, the excitement, it was it just completely bottomed out um, to the point where, we, and I didn't think this was ever really possible. I think it did get to the point where it didn't really matter that much at the end if they won or lost. People were... were out no matter what. Not everyone, of course, but, but some people. Um, and so I think that you have to sort of understand that arc, and there's you have to be of a certain age to understand that arc. And I'm, like, just there. You're just there. But, you know, there's a lot of people who program national sports sites who won't have remembered that, and a ton of people who grew up here who won't remember that. How good of a book, how good of a documentary will this be? Because uh, somebody's going to do it. Yeah. I mean, the problem is that it's a hate read or a hate watch, probably, right? I mean, it's it's 
it's watching something fall and and it hasn't risen up yet. So maybe it becomes a better a better arc if if there's an upward slope at some point on the other side of it. But um, I mean, I'm talking. I would rather hear your your point of view on a lot of this. I know you've said these things for years, but it's it. Like when I when I moved here, it was just such a dominant, powerful force in the town to have gotten to the point that it is, um, where people felt like you know local government officials felt like it would hurt them to somehow associate themselves with that franchise. It's just like an unimaginable fall, and and I think for a lot of years the media was probably um, for better or worse ahead of where fans were on it, more negative on Snyder and more um, sort of. Um, apocalyptic about where things were going. I know that you got, I think you got on that train earlier than a lot of your peers probably, because I, I remember hearing you say it, that, that it had fallen to a vast degree that I think other people hadn't yet um, realized. But I, it, it, the lap, the, the accelerate, the acceleration over the last three or four years um, took it from like, you know, kind of a local angst to, to like something far greater, uh, I mean, but the, it's, the, the amazing thing is, for all that we talk about that in, in terms of mood and vibes and importance and all those things, the guy left here with six billion dollars, right? It's, it's crazy. It's it's crazy how much money he made from ruining that franchise. Uh, it, well, it's just such a testament to the power of the league, but but he's also a pariah. I mean, he can never live here. His family can't live here. Um, you know, he lost I know. something. I know. I was, yeah. I, I know there's like shame. I mean, shame is the punishment, right? That's that's the punishment. Is that, and, and I mean, he must know that, and it must be a horrible feeling. I think no matter no matter what you think about the guy, it must feel bad as some part of himself to see a, a city celebrate your demise like that. I, and you know, the I think the interesting thing, and I think we've seen this all along, is I don't think they have any clue. Like you even even saw it in their exit statement. Um, there's just kind of a detachment from not well. You nailed it. The, the, this was a slow trickle from 2000 to, to, to 2017-ish, and then it just started to accelerate in a big way. I, I really think that 26, the end of 2016, the end of 2017 was the beginning of it. I'm not going to sit here and talk about Kirk Cousins being the trigger for for it, but it was just everything was being handled poorly and. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then obviously your, your newspaper and the story started in 2020. It was a, it, it blew up the last five years, but I was even starting to feel it, you know, in the, you know, going back to 2010, 2009, Zorn, just the passion being slowly sucked out of me and, and my friends, yeah. you know, all of whom had season yeah. tickets. And this was, you know, you, you didn't, you didn't schedule anything on Sunday. Your, your Sunday was all about, well, what time's the game and we'll figure out everything else after you know we've carved out the three to four hours for the game um yeah i and you know what like I, it is like that other places still for sure like when i go home to visit my parents in buffalo the, it feels like the city is that's what the city is doing like, everyone knows when the game is every like everyone wears bills gear i mean it's crazy it's and it just reminds me of what it used to be here i mean it used to be the same and it's not anything like that now but i think it makes when I talked about making a, a community feel smaller, um, 
you know, Buffalo is like a small, one of those yeah. kind of like small, tight knit communities. And it's crazy how a team like that can make even a bigger place like Washington feel like it's a small place on, on game day. And that's just totally gone. Well, we should talk about the name, though, because I, and <laughs> I mean, I've been writing about the name for a long time, and I yeah. know a lot of people see me and, and my peers as responsible in some way for for what happened with the name. And I, I really don't think so. I think there was a kind of a crazy confluence of events that led to that happening. But I think the name chased people off, some people off before it got changed. And I think other people left or, or were chased off when it got changed. Um, and it's gotten to the point where, I mean, it had gotten to the point where there, there was no win for them. Um, only like how, how big the loss was going to be. And I think picking commanders just made the loss even bigger than it had to be to, in, in my, in my view. But There'll be people listening to this and people who, who still write to me who say that when they changed the name, they lost them. And that's when they that's when they left. And I, I believe them. Look, I've been talking a lot about this. This is um, anybody that thinks this isn't a major issue among the majority of the fans. And I'm talking about the significant majority of the fans is just naive. And and in many cases, they're they're not really from here and they they have read about it, but they haven't felt it. Um, and yeah. And so, I, I mean, look, that, that it, I think personally, I think they'll end up changing this name. I don't know what the right answer is, and I talked about uh, uh, this a little bit in the open to the show, um, because I, I think the Redskins has no chance of coming back. And by the way, you're right. Look, this was, this was a climate in 2020, in the summer of 2020, off of George Floyd's um, murder, uh, combined with Dan doing, you know, Dan sabotage, self-sabotage things, not paying his minority shareholders, them starting to look in the books, them getting pissed at him and Fred Smith taking advantage of that climate to demand that they change the name. Um, you know, so it was all of those things. And then, you know, and by the way, on the heels of the first few stories about all of the women in the organization in your newspaper, it was a confluence of a lot of things. But without Fred Smith, you know, feeling like he could do this in the climate that we had in that moment um, and without Dan screwing his, his minority shareholders I don't know. It might still be around, or it may have been swept up in the way a lot of things got swept up um, in the wake of of that crazy uh, summer. But, but yeah, I you know I think it's so interesting just about what's next because everybody's feeling great. And I was down at the bullpen the other day, and there were thousands of people down there. And the, this was not Dan the, the the same group that for me eventually, you know, or occasionally I've got to go out and do events and you see the same people in recent years over and over again. This was, this was different. Um, and the NFL super popular, you know, it's not hockey. It's not, you know, in this city, it's not the NBA. Um, I don't know. I think that there, there's going to be a rejuvenation for sure off of Jess and Dan not being here, but back to the name, I think that they'd be best served to take it very seriously at the very least so that those that feel like they can't come back without a name change at least feel like they were paid attention to. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I told when you said there's like a naivete for people who aren't from here or who haven't lived here for a certain amount of time, it makes sense to me. And when I, when I was talking, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I, I think that people who 
said during the height of the debate, like you won't lose anyone. There's no there's no harm in doing it. It was always like a to me like a foolish argument. Of course you're going to lose people if you're the New York Yankees and you change your name, you know you lose a, a massive part of your brand. And and they were in the process of destroying the brand themselves anyhow. But right. then when that's like one of the few things that people can still cling to, I mean I, I think it's a huge cost. I, I mean I think there's a question about whether how you balance that cost with like ethics or morality or whatever that was always the question to me if you thought that it should be changed how, how can you balance it um but then i think they did such a to me they did such a terrible job of finding a replacement and then everything that happened since then was kind of tainted with the you know the really worst days of the snyder regime that I think that they would be helped personally if they had a different... I mean, I always thought that Washington football team was the best that they were going to do, and I think I sort of still feel that way. Uh, that's what um, I would do. I would I would make Washington the brand and let everybody call them the yeah. skins or the hogs or whatever and exactly. and get yeah. the, the the old uniforms back. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's kind of the way it goes. I mean, you are you love, you know, odds and gambling. You know, this bet online basically has yes as minus 400 on, will, you know, will they change the name eventually? I actually set the I don't odds. Really trust, I don't really trust, like, I know. odds like that. But I know. Yeah. Uh, but I set, my, I set my odds maker odds at, like, minus 115 on a yes the other day. Mm-hmm. Where would you put it? I mean, I don't know Josh Harris from a whole. Like, I, I don't know anything about him other than what I've read in my own newspaper. You know, I... I think that he he seems smart, certainly, and I don't think it's going to take them long to come to some of the same conclusions that you and I are coming to. Um, and I think if they're doing like focus groups, that I imagine they will do. I, like there there might be people who tolerate the commanders, but there can't be anyone who loves it, right? So I I mean I think that they'll get to the point where they they realize that it would be smarter to to change. But I mean, there's a cost in, in that, and if they get that wrong too, then they'd be like. You know, it could be a, an opportunity for an early self-inflicted um, trouble if if they wander into that and it doesn't come out well. But I guess I would, I, I think I would go even stronger than you, probably like minus one fifty or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think if you if you ask around, I don't know what the argument. The only argument for staying is like, is like to not open up that possibility of doing worse. But I don't see how they could do worse. I think the argument for staying is that if you're going to go with the team nickname, it's go- it's going to be um, you're not going to please everybody, and there's going to be a you know there's going to be a, a meaningful yeah. percentage that's that that hate that too. That's why Washington should be the brand. Look, I increased the percentage of Redskins from zero to like one percent. Um, and only because I thought about, imagine Magic Johnson goes reservation to reservation. Um, imagine they do what I suggested 10 years ago. They petition dictionaries for a second non-pejorative definition of the word, which I, you know, I, I pitched to the team eight or nine years ago and basically got ignored. But the, you, see, mm. you see dictionaries amend and update definitions of words because language evolves. And that word hasn't meant any meant anything to do uh, to do with uh, Native Americans for fifty years. Um, but anyway, I, I, I sidetracked you, but I, I shouldn't have sidetracked you with that one. But you, you know, I will say back to when you were talking about the excitement and, and the sort of resurgence and all that. I, I will say that when I when I talk about all the friends that I have who have sort of you know taught me and and I've like ingested from them what it used to be. A lot of them are legitimately like in it like boyishly excited about 
this season now and like talking about getting their friends together to go to the first game that they haven't done in years. And I don't know how long that lasts, but I mean, I've heard from people who are saying like, I put on, I put on my old Jersey for the first time in, you know, 15 years today, stuff like that. So I, I don't know how long that lasts, but I think that there are people who are going to, they're like willing to give it a shot again. They're willing to sort of like, test the waters and and see if it feels good to go back to what they used to be, to try to go back to what they used to be, to try to explain to their kids who they were fine with their kids ignoring it because it became depressing. But like maybe now they want to introduce their kids to it in a way. Um, So I think there's like a huge opportunity. And I'm the same way as you, like looking at that photo of the fans at, um, that they set up out at, at the park is like, wait, what? That it can look like that because it's always looked like a dump, like a sad dump. dump that, yeah, that attracts that group of people that there's nothing you could ever do to chase them away, right. but it won't attract, <laughs> like, it wouldn't attract any kind of casual, like, hey, should I take my kids out for a day at the park? Like, just seeing that, I was like, my God, what could this become if they actually, like, turn into, like, a classy, top-of-the-line organization? Yeah, well, I mean, we know it can't be worse, um, and I would guess, I just would guess that things are going to be done um, in a much classier way. Uh, and like you said in, in that last paragraph, and I think this is the feeling that everybody has, finally there's a chance, because I do think that most people came to the conclusion, maybe in the last five, six years, but some even earlier, There's no chance, as long as he owns the team, that they'll ever actually have a chance to win. And now there's at least a chance. It's it's an amazing story. I know you have to run because you had a limited amount of time. But I do think while it would be um, kind of a hate uh, piece or book, it is a fascinating look into how one of the most incredible sports brands – um, was essentially ruined in 24 years by mm-hmm. by one person, and how it, it, it you know he went about doing it. Um, like I've always suggested, it would be a great you know HBS or Wharton case study, but it would be a really interesting book. And you just wonder whether or not you could get him for it. You probably couldn't. It would be told by many other people. Yeah, you know one thing that when you said um, so this is totally off topic. I agree with you. It, I would read it, obviously, and I would certainly watch it. Um, this is just something else that's occurred to me in recent days that you just reminded me of. When you talked about how, like, in, like, 2009 and 2010, you were already thinking it might be sort of, you know, hopeless, that that was, like, halfway through. It's crazy that, that, like, Jim Zorn was, like, the first half of his tenure, and, like, the last 13 years, what a, just a horror show. At that point as it became increasingly clear, at least to people like me and you, that like maybe you would pop off with one random good year here or there. Well, the RG3 2012 be. year may have been the most exciting year of his entire ownership. Yeah, but even that was like, it, there were so many great moments in that year, but even that was kind of riddled with, you know, some controversies, and like certainly the way it ended left the bad taste in everyone's <laughs> mouth. And I, I mean, yeah, there, there was... By, by halfway through the, the next year, no one thought that they had turned a corner. No, I mean, there was no cur- corner turning. You know what I mean? That's what it was. It was like there was going to be a spike here and there, maybe, maybe. But there was never going to be, like, a corner turned. And it's just been a long decade. 
long de- decade. Uh, yeah, I mean, I we we all knew behind the scenes there were things that were going on, but I think for the fans, 2012 was the season. And I still yeah. think the game is the Thanksgiving Day game uh, in Dallas uh, when RG3 threw, you know, whatever number of touchdowns he threw and all of a sudden they're getting back into the playoff race. And there there was a real, you know, the, the Minnesota run, there was a sense that year that they had gotten the quarterback, and that was the only way to trump Snyder, right, was to accidentally yeah. land on, you know, the next, you know, big thing at quarterback. And they thought they had it, and, of course, he ruined that as well. Maybe if they had drafted Peyton Manning, he would have ruined that relationship as well. Um, yeah. God, I could talk about this for 500 hours, though, as I'm sure you could, too. <laughs> I know, I know. So are you going to write any more or not? I mean, I'm not opposed to it. It's not like, I don't, like it's, you're very nice to say nice things to me, but it's not like there's like some groundswell of like readers demanding that I write columns. You know what I mean? I'm happy with what I do. I'm much happier life-wise with what I do now. I think if I feel like I have something to say, I will. Um but what I do you do? Like... <laughs> I know you're an I know you're an editor, but you know most people don't actually know what that means. They know the guys that write the stories as columnists. They know reporters, yeah. and you're an editor. So when Nikki Javala writes a story, do you go through and just you know edit the story? I'm not her editor. I actually edit our columnists. So I edit like Sally Jenkins, Barry Truluga, Candace Buckner. Um... Jerry Brewer, I edit Feinstein and Kevin Blackstone when they write. You know, I talk to them about ideas, about timing, about when things would make sense. Um, when they file, I, you know, I will offer feedback. You know, not a lot. Like, I edited Sally's story on the Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova, if you read that one. Oh, it was so good. Um, we talked about, Tommy and I talked about that for 20 minutes on the podcast. I, Tommy, yeah. Tommy, so, thinks, know, I, Tommy thinks that's an award winner. I hope so. I hope so. Um, but, you know, just to get that that project off of, I mean, I had to get buy-in from lots of other people around the building. I had to, you know, line up the photographer to go down there. I had to, um, I convinced some video people to go down there for it. You know, there's like a lot of planning that's involved. You know, I do like headlines and, and headlines that might be like, I mean, it might seem silly, but for us, especially in the digital world, coming up with like the right headline and the right language to describe a story pays like a huge role in how many people read it. Um, at least maybe I'm, flattering myself to say that but i think it does and so you know and i just do i help with you know planning i edit neil greenberg who does a lot of our analytics stuff um and i keep myself busy in other ways i i mean i could take you to the office someday and <laughs> show you my work <laughs> uh, i'm not that interested but i think i think people are i'm <laughs> kidding but who came up for who who came up with light for old dc as the headline for the friday paper friday or saturday i think that it was, was friday actually, that was actually matt rennie who's our deputy sports editor and and probably has a reputation of being our best headline writer so he came up with that one you liked it yeah i thought that was good what were the other options yeah. do you do you remember um i could tell you but it would take a second on my phone and that'd probably be boring dead time for that's you. fine i know that they rejected burgundy they rejected burgundy and soul just because it had become such a you, you guys and, and your chums um had kind of beaten that one down right so um but that was that would that one had originally been. I think um, "Hail and Farewell" was one that I had said. Someone had. Would you that say one "Hail and Farewell"? Yeah. Okay. I, that that's not bad. "Light for Old yeah. DC" was great. I mean, that's it was a good. that's a that's a really good headline. 
um, for 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 that particular day. How how much over the last week did just online readership, et cetera, go up? Because you've told me before, you know, this is always the needle mover, even when they've sucked over the years. This is the needle mover by a factor of whatever, you know, over the caps, wizards, everything else. So how much is it up in the last week? Well, I don't have exact numbers, but, you know, the Washington Post has changed in a lot of ways, too, over the last 24 years. And, you know, I, honestly, I can, I, I'm can i pretty sure that, like, the Mary Jo White story that came out when they released the report, um, or whatever they released, I think that that one actually did more than the, did, did got more readers than the, um, failed being finalized. But it was also a weird process, because there was no drama at the last minute. Do you know what I mean? We all knew what was going to happen, and we had all known what was going to happen, and it stretched out over three months. So, right. Look, we never really do, knew, like, what's the official day? Like, what's the official day that you say, like, this thing is happening? And I, I mean, I guess it wound up being last Thursday or last Friday or whatever, but, you know, we had sort of telegraphed that was coming with, I can't remember what day it was, but there was, like, a day when we ran it on A1 for the first time, like, the team's going to be sold to Josh Harris when he was, like, identified as the exclusive whatever negotiating rights, all that stuff. So it just wasn't like a surprise. And I think that for us to get a real like bomb of a story traffic wise, now it requires something unexpected or something that people didn't know was going to happen. That um, That's interesting. Cause I was saying all the way up until the end of last week, it's going to feel very anticlimactic. We've already celebrated, you know, two or three times. Um, and yet when we finally got there to Thursday and Friday, and maybe it was because of where I was, you know, at the bullpen and, um, it was an incredible turnout and reaction. Maybe that was influential in the way I felt. But, no, I. But I. Yeah, but I, but I, I agree with you. It felt that yeah. way. Well, I mean, seeing Josh Harris walk out with Roger Goodell yeah. and realize, oh my God, Dan Snyder doesn't own this team anymore. Um, even yeah. though I knew it was coming, it definitely had more of an impact. Like I, I, I made the analogy because Cooley. During the whole name change, building you know, building up to two two twenty two, he couldn't have cared less. He was like, I, I don't, I just don't care what they pick, uh, whatever. Yeah. And then on that yeah. day, he calls me. He's like, I'm coming on the podcast, and he go and he said, I can't believe the way I felt when I saw Commanders in these uniforms. I felt like this was not the franchise that I played for. I can't believe how. I reacted and how negatively I reacted to it. Um, and I think maybe that's what Thursday and Friday, we knew it was coming, but um, it was official. You know? Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all on that, on the, the, the feeling that people had and the excitement that there was, but it didn't necessarily translate to like a right. all time record breaking day for us at all. You know I mean? I think that I could go back over the last five months and find sales stories that probably did better than the final one. Um, like multiple um, stories. I, you know what did crazy traffic for us was when they actually changed the name to Commanders. When they picked Commanders, and I, I don't know that pe- I'm, it wasn't people reading out of joy, but that right. story did an incredible amount of traffic. Like, oh, you know, I it was imagine. like because it was like new and like people didn't know what it was going to be. It was a, a big surprise or whatever. Right. So last one for you because we used to talk about this all the time. So in ranking the teams in in terms of importance to the most amount of people in town, it's still the football team one, but give me the give me the rest of it and tell me how big the football team's lead is now. 
Like breaking. We're talking just like the the, the top four teams. Yeah, yeah, the four professional sports teams. I mean, you and I both know that when Maryland basketball has been great, that's been a big deal. But you know, we haven't had the championship contending teams to really push that into the conversation. So where are the four pro sports teams? Man, I don't know. I'm out of touch now. I, honestly, I'm out of like. I think you have to go to events the way I used to and like talk. I used to talk to people all the time, and I would have like a way better sense. I mean. I, <laughs> Like off the top of my head, my I would say Commanders, Nats, Caps, Wizards, um, which is probably not different than I would say have said any of the last ten years, really. But um, I do think that the the I mean I don't know if we're talking like the total like some number of people who care or whatever in, in the area. I, I think a lot of Commanders fans, people who do care about the franchise have left the area and live elsewhere and follow the team. True. I think they have like, way, way more fans out of this area than any of those other teams. Oh yeah. Way more teams. Definitely. Um, so I think that's like a big part of it. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's also like warped by the nationals having been in this rebuild and that they got totally robbed of having the chance to capitalize on their world. Oh, but the pandemic never even happened. And so, I mean, I don't know what they could have become if, if, I just was talking to someone yesterday who said that she went to a Braves game and, and like every every stand has like something named after the World Series. There's buy World Series gear everywhere, and that the whole thing is like a vibe of like World Series winner. And the Nationals just completely got robbed of that chance. And I mean, so it's it's not like they're like rushing up with like tons of momentum right now to catch the, the top dog, right? I mean, they are like. Yeah, nobody is. Plateaued, yeah. Um, you know, it's, well, I had Rizzo on the podcast two weeks ago, something like that, and I said to him, I said, do you think you would be in the position you're in now, which is total rebuild, if the pandemic didn't happen? Um, and, you know, he, he th- they clearly believe that the franchise would be in a different place. Just the, the, the revenue bump in that first few years off of the World Series would have more uh, it would have carried the day and let's face it it went the other way because they didn't have the revenues a franchise that needed the revenue and by the way the owners are in, in real estate in in a lot of commercial yeah. real estate so everything right. conspired at you know post World Series to to um, you know eliminate the possibility of them taking advantage of it like most championship teams do they, they they'd probably yeah. be in a different spot right now but they're not yeah. Wait, can um, i close with can i close with one story for you uh, just yeah, along please. Lines of that. and this isn't i mean this is like a completely unscientific in every way but i was i didn't we did an event at nats park um we're talking on tuesday we did it on monday night um for washington post subscribers but we have a um access to a room through our partnership um like our marketing partnership with the nationals and so we did this event there for like 200 subscribers um, we were talking about DC sports, and we were talking about some of the biggest DC sports moments of the last twenty, I guess, of this century. We we're doing it of this century, and we had planned this months ago, but um, you know, we had to change our list, obviously, because <laughs> we included on the list the sale of the of the Commanders as one of the biggest moments. And we obviously there's the Caps Stanley Cups on there, and the Nationals arriving in Washington, the Nationals winning the World Series, and, and the biggest applause was for Dan Snyder selling the team. Which is, I mean, it was funny, and it's like recency and whatever, but um, this was like a Nationals crowd, and everyone in the crowd was wearing Nationals gear, and I think the biggest cheer was for Dan Song, the team. So, uh, that I mean, I think 
that at least shows you a little bit of the excitement that could come out of this. Well, I did this segment last week on radio, and I talked about it here on the podcast. I I ranked the top ten biggest DC sports stories that weren't game related. You know, so uh-huh. you know we don't take the World Series or Super Bowl wins or Stanley Cup wins, and. You know, Tommy and I talked about it, and he actually convinced me that baseball returning in 2005 was the biggest non-game story. Um, and I, I, I mentioned, you know, Bobby Mitchell integrating the football team in 62, and then I got to Snyder Sells in 2023. But I don't know. Gibbs's return in 2004 lit this city up uh, like nothing um, had in many, many years. Uh, That was a big deal. Um, And clearly the Redskins' name change was a massive non-game-related story. Uh, But we came up with like a top ten, and we had all these honorable mentions, and people sent in their lists, and I had forgotten about some of them that were were excellent. But, yeah, yeah. it's it was a big deal last week, or you know, over the last couple of months, knowing that it was coming, and uh, it doesn't guarantee anything moving forward. But I, what look, you've been to a million press conferences, you've watched a million of them. What was your impression of Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails and Magic Johnson on Friday? Can I tell you the truth? I was at Bethany Beach with my family, and I watched clips and highlights. Later, I didn't watch the whole thing. Uh, well, you're an editor. You're not a writer anymore. Um, you know, I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old and a 16-year-old, and it's like just chaos. And I did as much as I could last week, and I didn't, I didn't carve out time for that. And I was like literally on the beach. So. Right. Well, um, good column last week. Good to catch up. I hope you're well. Thank you. I'll talk to you, Kevin. See you. Dan Steinberg, everybody, from the Washington Post. It's been a while since we've had Dan on the show. I enjoyed that. I hope you did as well. All right, we'll finish up with a few things, including Albert Breer's one-on-one interview with Josh Harris from last week. I just read these quotes uh, yesterday, late yesterday. We'll talk about that next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC to secure a first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. MyBookie's division odds are up. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, but Washington's division odds are actually becoming longer. Um, I don't know if that's because Saquon Barkley uh, is now in the fold with the Giants signing that one-year deal for like a million more uh, than the franchise tag. Uh, That was a bit surprising this morning. Uh, But the Eagles are the favorites in the NFC East at minus 134. So you have to wager $134 to win 100. The Cowboys are at plus 189. Wager 100 on the Cowboys, win 189 if they win the division. The Giants are at plus 900, and Washington is at plus 1,600. There was a closer... um, They were closer to the Giants the last time I checked on these division odds. So Washington's odds to win the NFC East at plus 1,600 are the second longest odds uh, in the NFC to win a division. Arizona is the longest shot to win the NFC West. Um, But Green Bay and Tampa Bay both picked to finish last in their respective divisions in the NFC are plus 800 and plus 400, respectively. So Washington at plus 1600. That means if you like Washington to win the the division, you bet 100 bucks, you win 1600. All right, you bet you bet 10 bucks, you win 160. Uh, MyBookie.ag, MyBookie.com for all uh, that you need for your upcoming football season betting needs. Use my promo code Kevin DC. Uh, The NFL Network and NFL.com started their top 100 player list. This is the list that comes out this time every year that's voted on by the players themselves. And for the first time, Terry McLaurin is on the list. He comes in at 94. Now they're unveiling 10 players at a time every day. So the first part of this list is 100 through 91, all right? And Terry McLaurin came in at 94. There's only one receiver in the top in the first 10 mentioned, and that is Devontae Smith, who came in at 100. Um, But Terry McLaurin at 94. Imagine with a quarterback that can throw the ball downfield with some weapons, with, you know, a good offensive scheme, et cetera. Um, Who knows where Terry can go? Because he had 77 receptions last year. 77 the year before. That's the best. I mean, good yardage, averaging over 15 yards per carry. Um, uh, But still, um, there you go. Uh, So that first 10 on that player list uh, is out. I would imagine that the second 10 uh, is coming uh, later on today. I think Deron Payne and John Allen will be on the list. I hope Deron Payne and John Allen are both on the list. John Allen was the only player on the list last year at 88. Again, this voted by the players. This is a list voted on by the players. Uh, but if Deron Payne's on the list, he'll probably be in the next 10. And if he's not, it may mean that he's not on the list at all. So, uh, by the way, a couple things real quickly. How about that news from this morning that Bronny James, LeBron James's son, had cardiac arrest uh, during a workout at USC yesterday. Uh, he signed to play with the Trojans. Andy Enfield coaches the Tro- Trojans. Remember, Andy Enfield coached that Florida Gulf Coast team that beat Georgetown many years ago. 
um, during a workout. Uh, he had cardiac arrest, but was in intensive care for a while, but now is in stable condition as of the recording of this podcast. But scary stuff with that. Um, there are a couple of other sports stories. Jim Harbaugh. Uh, expected to be suspended four games for false statements to the NCAA during an investigation over recruiting violations. Now, I would assume it's the first four games of the year. They play East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers at home. Um, so he's not missing any major games. I I shouldn't say that. I have no idea if East Carolina, they occasionally have decent teams. UNLV, Bowling Green. Bowling Green's had some teams that can really score. I don't know what Rutgers is supposed to be like this year. Um, but there are four home games in Ann Arbor to start the year, and it looks like Jim Harbaugh is going to miss the first four games of the year. He would be back for at Nebraska in Lincoln um, on September 30th. Uh, and then there was the story of Jalen Brown's contract. I mean, are you kidding me? The richest deal in NBA history. Jalen Brown signs a five-year, $304 million Supermax extension with the Boston Celtics. The dude is going to make over $60 million a year. That deal exceeds uh, Nikola Jokic's $276 million extension uh, with the Nuggets. Uh, Some of these contracts are going to make Bradley Beal's recent contract that he signed here look like, you know, chump change. It's like we've always said, you know, uh, going back to the time that Field Yates, I'll never forget it, as a guest on my show and talking about Kirk Cousins said, don't forget... Uh, today's overpayment is tomorrow's bargain, um, which I've used many times since stealing it from, uh, field Yates. So, uh, anyway, um, yeah, uh, some news today in the world of sports, but I wanted to read from a column written by Albert Breer, uh, sports illustrated MMQB. I didn't see this until after the show yesterday, but he had a one-on-one with Josh Harris uh, in Minneapolis last week. Now, he didn't write the story until yesterday, but there are some really good quotes in here from Josh Harris uh, that I think really describe the way he intends on owning the team. So I will get to those in a moment. I wanted to mention one thing, and it's kind of inside baseball um, uh, stuff, media stuff. But I do hope that the new organization, when they do these one-on-ones, Give the locals uh, more of a shot. Look, we have a really good beat reporter group, you know, the Nikki Javalas, the John Kimes, Ben Standigs, Matt Paris, uh, J.P. Finley. Um, I'm forgetting somebody, I'm sure. Sorry about that. But they do a really good job, and occasionally they will get some of these one-on-ones. But the last organization was like enamored with the Adam Schefters and the Ian Rappaports of the world. And I remember, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago um, in a meeting suggesting that the bigger bang for their buck would be to do a lot of that stuff with local people, you know, like me. Um, but but seriously, I am serious about that. I, I would pr- love to have those opportunities, and I've had a lot of them in the past. I'm not saying that, you know, we've been completely shut out. But, uh, you know, seeing this 
late yesterday, you know, the bigger bang for their buck is to do these kinds of things now with the local media that have a far bigger reach into their fan base. You know, Ian Rappaport and Albert Breer and these people, I understand they have millions and millions of social media followers, but those are NFL fans. Um, The connection with their fan base is through, you know, local media, local hosts, um, you know, like me and and others. And uh, so we'll see what happens. Um, But anyway, I digress. I wanted to get to some of these quotes because they're really good ones. You know, he does get into how lucky he feels that he didn't get Denver a year ago because Washington came on the market and Washington is, you know, is something that's much different for him. There's this quote in here where um, he says that when they were doing some due diligence at FedEx Field, the group that was with him that had gone through the Denver bidding uh, looked at him at one point and said, wow, this is different for you. Um, And he said, I I was lucky. It was very lucky. It worked out in a very lucky way for me. Um, This is... This is something that's really emotional for him. Uh, Buying the Denver Broncos would not have felt uh, the same. You know, he talked about growing up in D.C., Chevy Chase, and, you know, walking down East Capitol Street into RFK. Um, Talked about the Garrow Upremian blocked kick. Mike Bass picking it up as as an early memory. And then he got into... Some of the things that I think are interesting uh, that Albert Breer got out, uh, got out of him. So Breer talks about you know his ownership experience with the Sixers and the Devils, and he writes Harris knows um, uh, knows you know the pitfalls, the traps because he had to confront those both as an NBA owner and an NHL owner, and he sees that experience and should be better equipped to not let such situations lead his team into a ditch. And he says the following, Josh Harris does, quote, Certainly I think a lot of people who are great business people or are great at something else come into owning sports teams and they believe just because they're smart and they're knowledgeable fans that they can start making player decisions and they make mistakes. I mean, that's what Dan did. My learning on that side has been to attract and retain the best possible, in this case, football talent, and to watch, to learn, and to listen. To not come in and just think because you're a great fan, you know what's going on. That's what we intend to do. I think the other thing that people don't realize, unless they've been through it, business is very transactional. It's about building value, building a company. In sports, you're a steward for the city, and it's very emotional. It's not about money. It's about much more intangible things. I loved that quote from him. You know, clearly there's some self-awareness that no matter how big of a fan he is, you know, he's not going to make the mistakes that Dan made. He's already been, I don't know that he's been through that with the Sixers and with the Devils. Um... But, you know, they intend on finding the best talent, hiring that talent, and letting them do their job. But I also thought when he talked about business being very transactional, it's about building value, building a company. But in sports, 
you're a steward for a city and it's very emotional. It's not about money. It's about much more intangible things. You know, he's talking about a lot of the things that we've discussed over the years, you know, this emotional attachment, this, you know, this dovetails right into the name conversation. And I think he's going to be very sensitive to it. Um, you know, and and here's the interesting thing. If you're sensitive to those things and you recognize that there's this emotional, this visceral connection to the team with a lot of people, um, and you, you know, you own that way, then it, the money's not going to be the issue. You know, you're going to have people that, that understand that you're doing things that are in the best interest of what they think they're interested in, what they are interested in, what they're emotionally uh, invested in. And the two things in many ways sort of go hand in hand. So Breer was talking about the process, you know, the Sixers process. You know, he bought the team, Sam Hinkie was the GM, and they tore it down. They, they tanked for a few years. And in the last six years, after a lot of those draft choices led them to Joel Embiid, among others, you know, they've won 50-plus games four times in the last six years, 49 games once and 43 the other time, and they've been to the postseason six straight times. And Breer writes, there's something to be taken from the process with the Sixers. Two things, actually. The first, as I see it, is that Harris will think outside the box. The second is that there will be a strong focus on building something sustainable that's not just for the here and now. Um, And so here is the quote on that from Harris. Quote, there's a big arbitrage in sports on thinking and acting for the long term. And we want to build elite organizations and teams that win consistently over the long run. Every situation is different. Washington has a good young team, so I'm not sure that that's the right analogy. But yes, we want to be innovative. We want to encourage encourage long-term decision-making. Look, ultimately, you win with the players on the field. You draft them. You get them in free agency. You trade for them. Unfortunately, free agency is generally something where you pay a lot. Trades are very op- opportunistic. So the draft is what you ultimately have to fall back on to build your team over a long run. And we'll just have to see... What we have here, I'm not saying that's what we're going to do, but I think that we'll do what we have to do, which is about attracting the best and brightest, thinking outside the box and creating edges in sports science and analytics. Closed quote. So the part of that quote that's interesting to me is when he says, There's a big arbitrage in sports on thinking and acting for the long term, and we want to build elite organizations and teams that win consistently over the long run. Every situation is different. Washington has a good young team, so I'm not sure that that's the right analogy, meaning you know the Sixers and the process. That's really hard to do in the NFL. You know, first of all, basketball teams have, you know, one-fourth of the players that NFL teams do. And by the way, that would mean one-fourth of the contracts that NFL players have. Now, not everybody's under contract beyond the, the next year, but you can't you know, strip a football team down to nothing and start over unless you're an expansion team. 
you know, Washington has massive salary cap commitment here over the next few years. And by the way, with a lot of really good young players that you'd want to start the process with. John Allen, Terry McCorn, Deron Payne. And they're all under contract for a while. Uh, you know, when he says every situation is different, Washington has a good young team, so I'm not sure that's the right analogy. Yeah, they've got a good roster. We know that the quarterback is still a big issue, obviously, uh, a mystery. But he doesn't have to come in, and I don't even know if you can do it in the NFL, and strip it down to the studs. You can't do that, A, because of the commitments contractually. Um, By the way, B, it'd be almost hard to field a competent football team. Okay, great, so that's going to land you with the number one pick next year and the year after. These quarterbacks that you're 100% sure are going to be franchise quarterbacks don't always turn out to be that way. It's kind of the same in the NBA. But, you know, you've got to have a roster around it. You know, that position is a very dependent position, even if you were to land it by sucking and snagging, you know, one of the top two or three picks in the draft. In basketball, you can't win the whole thing um, without an elite player. You know, you can't even, you know, win 50 games a year without an elite player for the most part. So um, it's just different. He's not thinking about the process and tearing it down and tanking. You, You don't do that in the NFL because you can't do it. There's not a clean slate unless you're an expansion team. You've got too many contracts, too many players under contract, and you need so many players under contract. You know, if you basically cut most of the players on your NBA team and you just signed a bunch of UFAs and, you know, maybe one or two players that had to make money to get up to the minimum threshold on the salary cap, you know, you're pretty much going to guarantee yourself an 18 to 25 win season and, you know, a very high draft choice. In the NFL, the, the line between the really bad teams and the really good teams it's pretty thin. You know, it's almost as hard to lose 17 as it is to win 17. Um, anyway, uh, there were a few other things here. Uh, Breer writes, Harris has a lot of catching up to do, and he readily admitted that when I asked how closely he's followed the commanders and the NFL at large. Here's what Harris said, quote, Growing up, I was a huge football fan. I'm getting to know the team again. I'm coming in. It's the eve of training camp. I've had very limited interaction with Ron and his staff, although I've had some. I've had no interaction with the players. Really, I know what I read. Obviously, I'm aware of what it means to be the owner of a sports team. I know a lot about Joel Embiid. I know a lot about James Harden. I know a lot about Tyrese Maxey. I know a lot about Nick Nurse. I know a lot about Daryl Morey. I don't have that kind of intimate knowledge of the Washington Commanders, yet I will. Um, and so that is, look, he, he, he talked about this on Friday. They just got here. They haven't had the access. And the calendar is such, they can't do anything about the football people right now. They can't do anything about the general manager people, you know, group right now. This is a sit back and wait and observe for a season. Um, he also said, uh, 
you know, um, that he'd yet to meet uh, Martin Mayhew. He's had limited exposure to Marty Herney and to Rivera. He's had more, obviously, he says, uh, reasons to communicate with Jason Wright. Um, But anyway, uh, he has a, a few more quotes here. How do you compete in the NFL? You try to create the best team. What does that mean? It means hiring the best front office, maintaining the best coaching staff, attracting the best people. It means developing analytics, developing any edge you can, whether it be analytics, whether it be sports science, whether it be how you treat your players, whether it be the opposing team not wanting to come into your house because they don't like it. It's a million little edges We know how to do it. We're not going to meddle in the roster day-to-day, but obviously there are times where we've made changes. They made a basketball change uh, in the offseason, firing Doc Rivers in Philadelphia, hiring Nick Nurse. Um, You've seen it in Philly, saw it in Philly this offseason. We do what we have to do, and we make decisions that we think are right. Right now we're going to do the best we can in learning and getting to know the people. He writes, uh, it's being a fly on the wall to a large extent. I'm not going to be watching the 40-yard dash and calling plays. It's about starting to get to know the staff, the key staff, and the key players, and then understanding the decision-making that's going to go into the roster and how they're configuring the team and going from there. And look, this year is a big year for the franchise, obviously, and we're going we're gonna to learn a lot. So I think it's unlikely that you'll see us or me meddling early. We're going to be watching results and what happens. Obviously, we know how to build sports franchises that win over the long run. We've done it. It takes a little while. We have to see what we have. Um, there you go. I mean, that last part, you know, I talked about this, I think, yesterday and maybe even on Friday's show. I don't really want to hear about how successful they've been in other places. You know, um, when he says, uh, obviously, we know how to build sports franchises that win over the long run. Let's be fair here. Philadelphia does not have a championship, you know, during the Josh uh, Harris era. The Devils don't have a title during the Josh Harris uh, era. Um, But, you know, New Jersey, the Devils are on the rise. Um, And the 76ers have been to the playoffs six straight times uh, with four 50-win seasons. That's not bad. Um, So they have, look, the equivalent would be, imagine if they go to the playoffs four out of the next six years with four out of the next seasons having 10 wins or more. I think, you know, over the last 24 years, we would have paid for that. Super Bowls are the goal. I get it. Of course, Super Bowls are the goal. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, the, he does not own a Stanley Cup quite yet, uh, and he doesn't own an NBA uh, Lawrence O'Brien trophy either. But both of those franchises, I mean, New Jersey really bounced back this year. They ended up having a great regular season, uh, winning, I think it was 52 games out of the 82 um, and they won the first round of their uh, postseason against the Rangers, and I think they lost in the second round to Carolina. I think that was it. Um, the only reason I know that is because, uh, remember, the number one seed in the NHL playoffs, Boston, got eliminated in the first round. Man, hockey is weird. 
All right. Um, that is it for the show today. I thought a lot of that stuff from Josh Harris, it was a lot more than we got on Friday. Um, but I wanted to share all of that uh, with you. All right. I am back tomorrow with Tom. Four seconds remaining in regulation. Houston, Washington tied at 13. Perhaps the Houston Oilers career of Ian Halfield on the line from 33 yards away. And Missed it. it. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.